The, the story of Turning Point actually started five years before we had our very first service that day in the science spectrum. It was the fall of 1997. I'd been living in Lubbock for a little over a year. And uh, I had been part of a healing and restoration process. I, I, when I moved to Lubbock, I was broken and I was a mess. And uh, there was a local church in town who, who kind of believed that grace works for pastors too. What a concept. And uh, they took me under their wing and they, they were so gracious and kind to help me rebuild my marriage, my, my life, and my ministry. I was serving on staff at that church at the time and, and, uh, and yet there was something missing and uh, that, that fall morning in 1997, I, it was about 4.30 in the morning. The house was pretty quiet. Yours probably is too at 4.30 in the morning. But anyway, uh, so I, I, was just, it was just, I was the only one up. And, and I, I was just on my face before the Lord. I have a prayer notebook out there. And I was just thanking the Lord for where I was. But I still wasn't content. And, and I asked the Lord a question that day. I said, God, when can I be a lead pastor again? And if you've ever heard the voice of God when he speaks to you in that kind, encouraging, sweet voice, he spoke to my heart and he said, well, you haven't told me what kind of church you want to lead. Well, hello. I was, I was kind of laying out, but I grabbed a pen and I started making a list. All right, I'll tell you what kind of church I want to lead. I want a church that's hungry for spiritual awakening. I want a church that practices celebration worship. I want a church that's a grace place where broken people can come and find their lives restored again and find that the grace of God is still active and alive. I want a church that's a bridge. And on one side of the bridge, there are people who know there's more to their walk with God than what they've experienced. And on the other side of the bridge, there are people who may have seen some abuse or a little bit of excess and, and they're looking for balance. And together we meet on the bridge. On one side of the bridge, there, there's a, a, a people with a high standard for holiness. Being a believer in Jesus ought to mean something. On the other side of the bridge, there's people with a high standard for grace. No matter how bad you've messed up, you can come to the grace of God and find healing and restoration again. And we don't choose one or the other. We meet together on the bridge. On one side of the bridge, there's, a, there's a, a people that, that love to share the gospel with cutting-edge evangelism. On the other side of the bridge, there's, there's people that, that uh, love to disciple and grow believers. And you don't have to ch choose one or the other. We meet together on the bridge. And y'all, I can't begin to describe to you what happened in my spirit that day, but if you've ever had this kind of transaction in heaven, you know what I'm talking about. I I sensed that when I laid that out before the Lord, God said to me, you can stop praying. I've heard your prayer. I mean, it was powerful. It was tangible. It was palatable. And the next morning, I just got, got pretty excited. I got back before the Lord again. And uh, I'd been studying through the life of Abraham during that time. And I was reading where before God changed Abraham's circumstances, he changed his character. And changed his name. And the Lord, that tender, sweet voice, spoke to me again. He said, hey, you remember that list you made yesterday? Yeah, I want you to go back to that list. And I want you to begin praying over that list that I'll make you the kind of man that can lead that kind of church. Ouch. Talk about your lessons in praying. Yeah, careful what you ask for. I made two mistakes growing out of that very real experience with the Lord. Mistake number one is I assumed that because God had heard my prayer that somewhere out there, there was this church that was already in existence 
and that they were just the, 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 the right time I was going to get to go serve as the lead pastor of that church. It was going to be awesome and all those things were going to come together and we were going to see a real revival and awakening and all that stuff. The second assumption was that it was going to happen fast. After all, the Lord had spoken, right? When God moves, things happen quick, right? Yeah, no. In fact, if the vision went that way, my life went this way. I mean, everything in my life began to contradict what I thought I'd heard from God that day. Instead of, you know, we men especially have, have this way of thinking in linear terms. If, if the goal is to get to point Z and you're at point A, well, the logical thing is you go to point B and then C and then D and then that just makes sense, right? That's just one problem. God never, ever does it that way. He, he just doesn't. And he sure didn't do it with me. And that began a five-year odyssey of ups and downs. There would be other words from the Lord, other prophetic words. People would speak into my life and into my ministry. And, then, and, and, I, and I would get all this anticipation for nothing. I wound up getting downsized from the church I was on staff with. We had started uh, an itinerant ministry. My wife and I, we were going all over the country telling our story. And all of a sudden, almost overnight, that just dried up. And, and the invitations quit coming. I wound up traveling for two years, working as a consultant, helping churches raise money. I, I, I was doing all these other things, and every once in a while, that vision, that idea would come back again, and, and, and I, I got to the point where it was kind of cynical. Four different times in this town, there was a, there was a movement of people in a certain uh, different churches along the way, and I kept thinking, okay, this is the one, this is the one, and it just didn't happen. It never happened. And I got to the point where I, I, I was... I was pretty cynical about the whole thing. I must have missed God. Or I guess God must be playing games with me or something. And then all of a sudden, about five years later, a local businessman looked at me and he said, you know, I've been praying about this thing and I think I've had a vision. And I think you need to pray about starting a new work. To which I said, huh. I said, you don't understand. I build on other people's foundation. I don't know how to start a church. I don't know anything about starting a church. And furthermore, I had that idea a couple of years ago and nothing happened. I mean, it was dead as a hammer. Nothing, no, no, there, was, there was nothing happening. But I said, because you said it, I'll pray about it. Y'all, I can't begin to describe what happened, but, but over a course of the next several weeks, I mean, things began to line up. I began, uh, we made a hit list of 19 families that we were going to reach out and say, hey, would you pray about, we're thinking about doing this. We never made it all the way through our list. People started calling me. People started emailing me. Hey, I hear you're starting a church. I started running into people in the grocery store. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, you know, this and that, helping my wife run restaurants, thinking about starting a church. Where? When? We're there. I mean, it was a completely different experience altogether than what the, five, the, the past five years had looked like. And all of a sudden, man, all the pieces began to put, put in place. You saw in the video where, where <laughs> at the very last minute, our, 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 our youth pastor at, at the time, our incoming youth pastor, had a prophetic dream about us having services in the science spectrum. I didn't even know they had an exhibit hall. And that day we had our worship space. I mean, God just began lining up all the details. You see, when God says it's time to go and the lights turn green, you'd better be ready. But in the meantime, there's this thing called waiting. Oh. I don't know how you feel about the subject. I believe there's going to be traffic lights in hell. That's what I think about waiting. 
I hate to wait. In fact, it got so bad. There was a, one person gave me a verse out of, the, uh, out of Habakkuk. He says, this, this is a word from God for you. Write down the vision so that a herald may run with it for the vision awaits an appointed time. I finally wrote my journal. If one more person tells me that the solution to this is to wait on God, I think I'm going to punch him. I mean, I hate waiting. And you know what the Lord was doing the whole time? Making me wait anyway. In fact, we, and I believe I'm talking to somebody today who you're in that season. You're in a season between your promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And maybe you've been waiting for a long time. Maybe you've been praying for somebody to be saved or to, to, to come back uh, in, in, their, in their walk, to, to, to come back to the Lord. And, and you, you've, you've had this confidence and this faith that God's heard your prayer and yet nothing is happening. Well, I want you to know that you and I have an ally in the Bible. About several actually, but a guy by the name of Joseph. We're going to look at his life a little bit today in Genesis 40. But before we get there, I want to show you a verse in Psalms 105. Take a look at this. It says, and he, talking about God, called for a famine upon the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. But look at what verse, verse 19 says. Until the time that his word came to pass... The, the word of the Lord tested him. You know what that's like? You know what it's like to get a word from God and then be tested by it for years? I do. Because that's exactly what was going on behind the scenes is that God had given a clear vision and yet there was something in my character that God was still at work to develop. There was something in the, in the purposes and the plans of God that said 1997 isn't good enough. The year 2000 isn't good enough. I've got plans for 2003. You don't know it yet, but you'd better get ready. And you know what I was doing? Well, sometimes I was getting ready. A lot of times I wasn't. Because I was pouting and I was feeling sorry for myself. And I used to read through Psalms. David complaineth to God. Turn the page. David complaineth to God. Turn the page. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? What a baby. That's what I said. And David, what a big crybaby. God, get over it. Until I'm there. And now I'm up there going, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And David's up in heaven going, uh-huh, see? I know in a group this size, I'm talking to somebody who's living somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment. Everything I want to say to you revolves around this point. Look at this. Anytime you are living between the promise and the fulfillment, you are being tested. Anytime you are living between the promise and the fulfillment, you are being tested. And I can testify that even when you flunk the test repeatedly, and I did, God is still faithful. He'll just take you back around one more time. <laughs> He'll be glad to teach you patience if you don't learn it the first time. Let's look at Joseph for a little bit. 
In Genesis chapter 40, we're, we're kind of getting into the middle of Joseph's story. So let me kind of set the scene for you. Joseph had had some visions from God. He shared his, with his brothers. They didn't take too kindly to it. They sold him into slavery. He had been ser- serving as a slave, but got great favor by the captain of the Lord uh, of the Egyptian host named Potiphar, and uh, who put him in charge of his whole estate except for the one thing, uh, and that was uh, his marriage, obviously. And and yet Joseph. Uh, was falsely accused of trying to seduce his wife and uh, wound up being thrown into prison. So now Joseph is in prison. This has now been going on since he first had his dream and shared with his brothers about 10 or 11 years. And in Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, a couple of new characters come on the scene. And it says, Then it came to pass after these things, the cupbearer and the baker uh, for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. If you're an underliner, underline that phrase, captain of the bodyguard, in the jail. The same place where Joseph was in prison. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? They said to him, we have had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. And then from there, each of these guys tells the story of their dream. And Joseph interprets, he uses a dynamic spiritual gift that he had to prophetically interpret other people's dreams. And he told them what was going to happen. He said, both of you are going to have your heads lifted up. One's going to be lifted up and hung. And the other's going to have your head lifted up, and in favor with Pharaoh, you're going to go back. And that was the cupbearer. Joseph says to the cupbearer, now look, when you get back to Pharaoh, let him know I'm here, please. Because, you know, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. And the cupbearer says, absolutely. And then he didn't. He totally forgot Joseph for two more years. And you know what Joseph was doing all that time? What some of you are doing? Waiting and waiting. And waiting. Waiting can be difficult. It can, there are times that are easier and there are times when waiting gets hard. Let, let me give you some examples from Joseph's life and perhaps from yours, certainly from mine, of when the waiting becomes hard. Somebody said to me one time, you know, waiting on God is like sitting on a concrete bench. You know, the first few minutes isn't too bad. Well, that's kind of cold, kind of hard, but that's all right. We won't be here that long. And then you are. And then you're waiting some more. And that bench gets harder and colder and harder and colder. And they're like, how long have I got to stay here? You know? And uh, waiting on the Lord can be that way too. But in particular, the waiting becomes hard when your circumstances conflict with your dr- or contradict your dreams or convictions. Joseph had a vision from God. And you know what his vision was? His brothers would be bowing down to him. And, and submitting to his, his authority and his leadership? Yeah, that wasn't happening. In fact, just the opposite was happening. Nobody was bowing down to Joseph. Joseph was having to bow down to everybody else. All the circumstances said to Joseph that your dream is a lie. 
And yet Joseph still held on to this promise from God. And, 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 but, but guess what? It makes the waiting hard. Do you know what it's like to know you've heard from God and yet it's just not happening? Some of you have a sense of a calling from God and yet it's just not materializing. And, and, and you're in that stage where it's just, God, this is hard. Waiting becomes hard when you're facing unjust circumstances, when you're going through some pain that you didn't ask for. It wasn't your fault. And yet somebody falsely accuses you or you have to pay the price for somebody else's mistake or, or, or you're going through a, a, a situation in which uh, it, 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 life just doesn't seem, there's that word, fair. The waiting becomes hard when, this one this was really hard for me, when God seemed to be doing it for everybody else, but he wasn't doing it for me. I, I, I watched guys I loved dearly who were, who were stepping out and seeing the fulfillment of their dreams and their vision. I, I helped a lot of them. I encouraged a lot of them. And I kind of started feeling like Esau. Isn't there a blessing left for me somewhere? God, you seem to be doing it for everybody else. Why not me? Why, why did you even put this in my heart in the first place if the only solution is just to wait? while I get to watch everybody else get all happy. And the waiting, it just made the waiting that much harder. Do you know what that's like to, to, to look around or even worse, look on social media and it looks like everybody's living their happy dream, their happy life, and there you are living yours. And it's like, come on, Lord. What's the deal? The waiting becomes hard when people promise you things and then don't keep their promises. And that happened to Joseph when, when people would say things, yet the Potiphar would talk about what kind of favor he had, yet there he was still in a slave, slavery and then still in prison. Uh, the the, the, the cupbearer promised, yeah, Joseph, I'll take care of you. And then he didn't. You know what I learned in my waiting season? There were a lot of well-meaning people. Kind people, encouraging people, people who even made some promises along the way. When, when we were starting the church and even when we were building the building, there were some people who made commitments and promises along the way. And you know what I learned about those people? They're people. And sometimes they dropped the ball. Sometimes they forgot. Or sometimes stuff happened with their, with their lives, you know. And they didn't mean anything bad by it. But, but uh, let me tell you something. If God has given you a dream and you're waiting on the Lord, there's no human on the planet who can fulfill God's vision for you. Now, he will use them, but if you start putting your trust in people, you're going to be sadly disappointed because godly, well-meaning people, kind people, sweet people, encouraging people, listen, they are there, but they are not your solution. They may be a tool in the hand of God, but most of the time uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say good things and then often they, they forget or they just they, they drop the ball, they let you down. So that makes it that much harder. And, and then when everybody offers you favor, but it's on their terms, not yours, that makes the waiting harder. You know, everybody loved Joseph but nobody loved him enough to set him free. 
Joseph had favor, except for his brothers, he had favor everywhere he went. But not to the point that he could walk out of prison a free man. I, I know that during that five-year stretch, I had a lot of offers, a, a lot of, uh, some of them I needed. There were job offers, you know, and, and there, were, there were some real in-between times for us. And, and, uh, and, I, and I took some of those. And I had some ministry opportunities, some outlets. That would, when people would uh, offer some opportunities, and I would step into that. But all the time I knew, this is, I appreciate this, but this isn't it. This is not what the Lord began showing me that day. And there were times when I, I just thought, well, I, I, maybe, I, maybe I did. Maybe I just missed God. But, but people, were, people were nice and they were gracious. Uh, sometimes they were disappointing, but, but most of the time. But, but, but it just, all it did was make the waiting that much harder. You know what that's like? Hey, I know this isn't what you're looking for, but I do have this for you. Hmm, what do I do with that? Do I say thank you and take it and kind of settle for plan B? Do I wait around for plan A? Do I take plan B temporarily and knowing that one day it creates a lot of confusion. It just makes it hard. So what do you do? When you're living somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment, what do you do? Well, I can point to you what Joseph did and seemed to work for him. And some of those things I've seen reflected in our story uh, not near as well as it did for Joseph, but, but, but I've seen some of these. And, and if you're in that in-between season for you, here are some things I just want to encourage you with, okay? Some things to do during the waiting season. Number one, when you're in the waiting season, remain as peaceful as possible with those who oppose you. Remain as peaceful as possible with those who oppose you. Now, I want you to look back at verse 3, man. I want to show you something. It says, so he put, him, put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. Do you know who that was? Well, if you go back to chapter 39, it introduces you to a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the Lord's bodyguard. Do you know who the keeper of the prison was? The same guy that was, Joseph was running his estate. He just put him in a different part of his job. And what had happened to Joseph during that time? Well, Joseph had the opportunity to lash out and gnash out and defend himself and, and, and all that. He didn't do any of that. And so Joseph had the same kind of favor inside the prison that he had while he was working for Potiphar on the outside. And you know, I got this theory. Potiphar kind of knew what was going on. You know what I'm saying? He, he kind of knew that Joseph had been falsely accused, but he was in a situation where his hands were tied. So he put Joseph in a place where nobody else could get to him. Sorry, bud, you're in prison, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching. And he wound up putting Joseph in charge of all that. And look, when Joseph was in all that, he could have he, he gotten hostile. He could have gotten negative. He could have he, he, he gotten all bitter, and he didn't. He remained as peaceful as possible. And that reminds me of some things about our early days. I wish I could tell you when the word got out that we were starting a new church, everybody in Lubbock said, wow, praise God, the kingdom is advancing. They didn't do that. <laughs> Some of them, this is my favorite. What does Lubbock, Texas need with another church? We got a church on every corner as there is. What do we need another church for? So that, that was nice enough. 
But I actually had some people from other churches, leadership in other churches, call me the week before we started to chew me out for starting a church. We got a problem with this. Really? Don't know what to tell you other than it's not about you. That And, and we're, we're not against anybody. We're, we're just trying to follow a vision the Lord gave us. And it wasn't the city, it wasn't the world that was attacking us. It was other churches. But you know, we made a decision during all that time. You know what the decision was? If we're going to fight somebody, we're fighting the devil. We've got enough problems with sin and a world that's lost. I don't have time to fight other churches. And so we didn't. We made a decision from the very beginning. We're going to be as graceful and peaceful as we possibly can. I, I did a couple of peacemaking missions over to different churches to... You know, if we'd made it, offended somebody, you know, we made our, tried to make our peace and, and, and all that. The, the, the point is this. When you're in the waiting season, there is a temptation sometimes to, 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 to kind of put your stinger out. I, I used to have this guy named Ed in a different church. It wasn't Turning Point. Uh, it was back in Alabama. Every time I saw Ed coming, it was bad news. This is bad news. And, and, uh, and it would show up on my face. Ed, what now? And Ed had, was kind of this courtly southern gentleman, and he'd say, now put your stinger up. I just want some, some things we need to talk about. And I, I finally tried to say, Ed, just once, I wish when you showed up, it was good news, right? But it was always bad news. But, but can I just say this? When you're in the waiting season and it's hard, there's a temptation to whip your stinger out. Stop. Just back off. It's going to be all right. Remain as peaceful as possible, even with people who oppose you. Second, this is so important, y'all. Maintain consistent fellowship with God. Who was it that gave Joseph the vision from the beginning? It was the Lord. Who was it that was overseeing everything even when Joseph's life went south? It was still the Lord. And can I just say to you that if you're living in a season of disappointment, if you're living in a season of waiting, if it's, if it's hard for you, the temptation from the enemy is to blame God for it. Stop. Lean in. Keep calling on the Lord. Keep trusting in him. Keep seeking out his word. When you're, when you're frustrated, tell God you're frustrated. When you're angry, tell God you're angry. He's big enough to take it. When you don't understand what's going on, tell God, I don't understand what's going on. But keep pressing in to him. Let me tell you why. Because when you get disappointed and you push away from God, where are you going to be when the opportunity finally materializes? If you're not ready for it, you're going to find yourself scrambling and crawling around trying to, trying to figure out, oh, what, what do I do? Don't back up on your faith. Don't back up on your discipleship. Don't back up on your relationship with God. If there was ever a time to lean in, if there was ever a time to, to press in to, to the Lord Jesus, it's now. It's during the waiting. Then third, as you maintain that fellowship with God, continue using your gifts at every opportunity. Now, I've probably used the word cynical half a dozen times to describe seasons I went through in my life while I was in this waiting time. And the temptation when you're in the waiting time, uh, you know, picture, put yourself in Joseph's position a minute. 
He was supernaturally gifted to have prophetic dreams. He was supernaturally gifted to also interpret the prophetically the dreams of other people. And that, what, what did he have as a result of that? Yeah, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. Thank you very much. If exercising my gifts got me here, I think I'll choose another path. And yet what you see in Joseph is someone who continued to use his gifts. Here he is now, 11 years into this. And two guys have a prophetic dream. And Joseph says in verse 8, look, don't, don't all these interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. And he was ready to exercise his gifts. Now, why do I tell you that? Because there are some of you who are gifted encouragers. And yet you're going through a season of discouragement yourself. And nobody's really pouring into you a lot of encouragement right now. And so why should you bother using your gifts of encouragement? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes the greatest encouragement you can receive is when you're using your gifts to encourage somebody else. Keep using your encouragement gift. There are some of you who are gifted prophetically. You know how to speak into other people's lives and it's as if God himself is doing the talking. Nobody's speaking into your life right now and you feel like you're kind of wandering around in the darkness, but yet you still have the ability to speak into somebody else's life. Speak. There are some of you who are gifted teachers. There's some of you who are gifted givers. There are some of you who are gifted in, with, with mercy and nobody's showing a lot of mercy to you right now, but, but God has called you and uniquely gifted you. Keep showing the mercy. Whatever he has done to, to gift you, use your gifts. The Bible says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And what that means in practical terms is if you want to find what your real calling is, look where your gifts are. And lean into that. Keep using your gifts because the day's going to come when the lights are going to turn from red to green and God's going to say it's time to go and he wants those gifts ready and sharp and ready for you to use to make a difference in the world. Well, you don't suddenly wait around to do that. Use them today. Use them right now. Number four. Don't use your waiting seasons to attack other people. In verse 14, there's a sweet transaction that takes place. Joseph is told the cupbearer, you're going to go back into Pharaoh's favor. And he says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even there, I've done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. What I love in here is what Joseph didn't say. He didn't say, he didn't poor mouth and trash talk his brothers. He didn't poor mouth and trash talk Potiphar or his wife. He sure didn't poor mouth, he could have poor mouth and trash talk Pharaoh, didn't do that. He just made a simple request and he avoided the temptation to go into attack mode. When you're stressed by a waiting season, it can become very tempting for you to, well, pull your stinger out, to, to draw the sword, for you to start looking for somebody else to hurt because you're hurting. And you've heard the old saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, don't. Avoid the temptation to use your waiting seasons to attack somebody else. And then fifth, 
don't be surprised when people forget about you. Again, y'all, like I mentioned before, sometimes people mean well, and, and, but they got lives of their own, and they got visions of their own, and struggles of their own. And sometimes they'll say kind things and intend good things, and like the cupbearer did, and then get all caught up in life again, and they forget. Well, it's not a time to get bitter. It's not a time, because again, people are a source, but they are not your hope. Your hope is in the same God who gave you the vision to start with. It doesn't say the people of God who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. It says he, God, who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He is the one who has promised to finish what he has started. He is the one who has promised to fulfill what he's given you a vision to do. So when people come alongside you and it feels good, it feels like you're ready to have that kumbaya moment, let's all group hug and God's, God's all in charge and we're going to make it happen, and then they go on their way and they forget, bless them. Bless them. Because guess what? You've probably done the same thing at some point. You didn't mean to, but you do. But if you don't remember anything else today, when you're in the waiting season, remember this. Remember that God... God's timing is an expression of God's love. God's timing is an expression of God's love. Two years later, no less than Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, had a dream that he didn't know how to interpret. And along comes the cupbearer. Oh, I meant to tell you, but I forgot. Dopey me. There's this guy down in prison. You really need to talk to him. Let me ask you a question. If you'd had the power and the authority to do it two years earlier, and you were to go to Joseph and say, what can I do for you? What do you suppose Joseph would have said? He'd have said what you and I would have said. I want to get out of here. I want to go home to my dad. I'm tired of this. I just want to go home. I want my freedom. And if you had the power and the authority to do it, you probably would have given it to him. What would have happened if Joseph had gotten out of prison two years earlier? He'd have probably gone back home to his daddy. Had a few issues to deal with with his brothers. They'd be down there floundering, and Pharaoh would have had a dream two years later, and there'd be nobody to interpret it. They would have seven years of abundance, but they, didn't, they, they wouldn't know that seven years after that were going to be years of famine, and they wouldn't be ready for it. They would assume that the abundance was just going to keep going. No one would have been ready. Egypt and the world would need a, 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 a statesman, an administrator, a political leader, an economic genius at the helm, and where, would, where was he? He was back down there on daddy's farm. Instead, in a way that Joseph couldn't understand at the time, somebody forgot about him, and yet God was at work all along. God knew when Joseph needed to get free. God knew when we needed to start a church. God knows when you need to see the fulfillment of whatever vision he's planted in your heart to. And y'all, I want to tell you something. Okay, you need to hear me loud and clear. 
I got to serve this church for seven years, and I messed up. I did so many stupid things. I did. I made. I made so many dumb things during that waiting season. I did so many idiotic things in my impatience and frustration and confusion. But there's one thing I can tell you about this church. If there's one thing we did right, I gave God time. And it wasn't without a bunch of kicking and screaming and whining and pitching fits and, and cynicism and all that. But I gave him time to finish what he started and what he promised. And look at where you are today. Listen to me. I'm going to ask some of you today to make one of the most difficult decisions any Christ follower could make. I'm going to ask you to keep believing in the promises of God, even in the face of your disappointments, even in the face of your delays or the broken promises of people, even in your heartache, I'm going to ask you to still hang on to what God has said to you and keep holding on to his faithfulness. I'm going to ask you to let go of your demanding spirit. I'm going to ask you to quit pouting and feeling sorry for yourself and to give God time to make you into the person who can live with the fulfilled promise. It takes 40 days to make a squash. It takes 40 years to make an oak tree. What do you want to be when you grow up? And are you willing to give God time to do it? Hebrews 10 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised.